0: Hi, this is Kutsianaki, and welcome to season six of Down to the Struts, the podcast about disability, design, and intersectionality. We're thrilled to bring you six new conversations with disabled leaders, activists, and artists about how we can build a more just, inclusive, and accessible world. Our very first guest this season is Andrea Levant. Andrea is the president and founder of Levant Consulting. We talked about Andrea's journey to becoming a disability activist, her role as the impact producer for the acclaimed film Crip Camp, and the creation of Levant Consulting a firm dedicated to shaping the way in which the world reaches views and values people with disabilities. Okay, let's get down to it. Well, thank you so much, Andrea, for joining me on the podcast today. It's such a delight to have you.
1: I am excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure and my honor. I'd love it if you could start off by telling our listeners a little bit more about you and your story and what brought you into disability consciousness and then later activism.
1: Absolutely. Uh, You know, I identify now proudly as a, a disabled Black woman. And I say now because I don't Thing. Actually, I know that I would not have held those identities kind of in the same sentence or even honestly called disability an aspect of identity uh, if you would have found me 20 years ago. I was born with a physical disability and neuromuscular disability, so have been, you know, disabled my entire life for, I mean, was diagnosed very, very young started using um, mobility devices pretty much, you know, since I was a child and a a wheelchair user from the age of five. So, you know, I had the lived, you know, experience. However, I did not have, you know, many examples, particularly anyone that looked like me. Um, So a disabled black woman or, you know, disabled woman of color. And also grew up in a in a, a faith based community, the black church as it's known. And so I think you know often for those of us that come from certain faith traditions, along with not having representation of ourselves, that tends to cause us to whether it's have negative you know feelings or um, just to really assess our worth by what we see in society or what, or how it's, you know, talked about. So the narratives were strong around particularly, you know, the charity model as we know it, which, which really focused on pity. My, my disability actually is uh, one that would be considered under the Jerry's kids um, uh, uh, model or or focus that was popular, the Jerry Lewis telethon. Um, So I was one of those Telethon, telethon folks that, you know, people would call in and give money to this char- charity to cure this, you know, deadly, horrible, you know, all of these things, disabilities that did not portray um, disabilities anything but kind of sad, um, you know, and in the faith based community, also seeing it as something that needed to be healed, something that needed to be fixed. So, I had a lot of pride in my other aspects of my identity because my parents went to historically black colleges. I had a lot of representation growing up in the, you know, 90s, late late 80s and and 90s when it came to I think even black female representation on television, but again not seeing disability represented. So all of that to say that I was not super proud of, and in fact I think spent the, uh, into early parts of my adulthood, really just trying to get people to not see um, the disability, the idea of overcoming um, disability, things like that. I really didn't want to be identified in that way. And then I moved up to the DC area from the South. I started working um, in the nonprofit space and started encountering different Barriers that I knew and it kind of expected when I was living in the South, but moving to an area where I kind of expected, I expected things to be different. I was living in the nation's capital. I expected, you know, to have physical access to places I wanted to go, I expected to have access to the health care resources I needed, personal care services, things like that. Wow, I was like, <laughs> You know, they make it really hard for people to to live. Um, And they tell us to pursue this, quote, American dream. But it seems like the system is really against is really against me trying to do that. And so at that same time was introduced to particularly the disability rights movement and started learning about key figures in the disability Rights movement, everybody from Judy Human, who interestingly I met on the streets of Washington, DC, to you know, so many others, um, Ed Roberts, and and so I was shocked, quite honestly, to um find that there was this community of people and that had been fighting for a long time to ensure that disabled people were, A, considered human and seen, you know, from a a perspective of equality, even with the passage of the ADA, um, that folks had been fighting for rights. It gave me a grounding, similar to the grounding that I had always had in relation to Black pride, because my parents, you know, made sure to, if they weren't teaching it, at least to expose me to you know, the black history. uh, And so I was, I knew so much in that vein and honestly was super passionate about, you know, black history. And so once I knew that, oh, wow, there's this disability history, often, you know, when you have that connection to a people group, that is what cultivates that sense of pride because you see that there's something to be proud of. Um, You know, there's a community, Uh, There is a culture connected to it. There's a language. And yeah, wow. Like reading the story of the woman who created the quickie wheelchair, which was, you know, my first wheelchair when I was five years old and it was hot pink because she was you know, frustrated by these very medical looking hospital wheelchairs, I'm like, wow, that's so cool, you know, and like, it made me proud of having a quickie, you know, hot pink wheelchair. So that's what started my journey, both from a disability consciousness, you know, perspective and a pride perspective. And ultimately, it led to activism, I would say, because I felt like I didn't have a choice. You know, if I have access to all these people and all these resources and I still can't figure it out, you know, I considered myself in that way privileged, it was always bittersweet, even when I would have a win of sorts, because I knew that that was because of the access that I had um, and and the people that I was connected to, um, you know, at these higher kind of levels of leadership. And so for me, it it really mm, kind of fostered in me or, or um, just this burning <laughs> uh, desire to say, you know, if not me, then who is going to continue to aim to ensure that all of these policies and all of this information A, that we're moving beyond just the concept of, you know, rights, but to actual culture and community, but also how is that communicated to um, the grassroots level and, you know, helping, you know, my people, particularly disabled people of color, you know, ensure that they have access to the resources that they need and quite honestly that they desire. So that's what really started to turn you know uh move me and in, into the space of um activism
0: andrea i feel like i'm hearing you my story in your story in so many ways just the The pink wheelchair, I I definitely feel the same way about my white cane. (laughs) It used to be a source of shame and embarrassment, is now a source of pride. And I also, when I came to DC, I didn't know a single other blind person. And I met so many of them and I came into this consciousness. And so I really identify with that, with that story and and the journey that you went on. You were the impact producer for Crip Camp, the film about the history of the disability civil rights movement. And you were the first black woman in a wheelchair on the Oscars red carpet, which is, um, uh, you know, honestly, I, I wish that th- that had come sooner, but I'm glad that you were there. Can you tell us about some some of the, the lessons that you took away from that experience?
1: Absolutely, thanks for asking. Oh goodness, I mean, I took so much from that experience, and I am I am where I am today, thanks to to that experience. I would say for sure, you know, when we we meaning Stacy Park Milburn, who um who passed away in twenty twenty, and then the team that 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 joined us when we started on that project, it really you know Crip Camp. The goal was to community build. It was really about ourselves. It wasn't about necessarily the world um, and their benefit. It was, you know, a recognition of the fact that Crip Camp told a story. Um, It told some, you know, some stories, but it ended, you know, essentially 30 30 plus years ago, 30 years ago at the time that um, the film came out in 1990 with the passage of the ADA. And so for us, you know, there's so many of us that were continuing to do the work that have been siloed, disconnected. When the film came out, it literally came out like as the pandemic was also, uh, it, it came out in March of 2020. So it was like, we signed on for the project and two weeks later, the shut the first shutdowns in in California happened. So for us, it was just like, all right, how do we bring together our community? How do we cultivate and grow how How do we edify and uplift those that have been doing the work and and reconnect us and revitalize rejuvenation? And then also, how do we support the building of these next, this next wave of folks, you know, that are going to be pushing us past um, and that already are pushing us much further beyond that particular movement, the the disability rights movement. So I, and, and then with that, what we saw in the movie and what we were or in the film and what we were really grateful for from the filmmakers, Jim, Nicole, and then um Sarah as as exec, as a as a producer and then of course having the Obamas as executive producers. Um what we what they acknowledged beautifully was that yes, it tells stories, it doesn't tell everyone's and in particular, um there were stories that were left out of that and 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 more particularly disabled people of color again. And also just um kind of the the breadth of disability representation that we know that there there is um you know i have focused heavily kind of on physical disabilities and particularly the white disability experience and so what we did there and i think from a lesson perspective what has continued to carry you know and support our work is is the centering of the various perspectives um that disabled people have particularly Uh, in connection to our intersections, um, you know, whether that be uh, from race, whether that's, you know, sexuality, gender identity, um, faith, uh, things of that nature. And so that, it really sparked a lot of conversation in that time period and has continued. And, you know, the world post-George Floyd, and we're still in a pandemic, truly, um, and 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 where we've seen the rise of DEI um, and other you know diversity focused um, initiatives, it has pushed forward those conversations. And for us, when when I think about lessons, there's so many things I learned as a leader, and you know being in connection to people. But really, it was just that there is so much more of a need. Um, Than I even realized then, particularly, it's like at all levels of culture, um, from entertainment space, from a technology space, from, you know, a policy perspective, I think a lot of us, particularly in DC, you know, um, which I'm no longer there, but when, you know, I started out my career Um, there. And so it was very policy focused. And I've been, you know, Crip Camp really opened up so much more in terms of seeing. wow, there's, there is, from a cultural standpoint, we have to move the needle, particularly in relation to representation in the media. And so the lesson was really just seeing the opportunities, um, which we're continuing to build upon, you know, to connect to and hopefully just really bring these conversation into present day across culture.
0: And on that note, I'm interested, you know, Crip Camp, as you described, it just was such a it was such a cultural moment for the disability community in the sense of it was an opportunity to bring people who were disengaged back in and sort of tell the story and, and bring it to new audiences and and invigorate the movement. But what do you see as the next sort of the future of disability storytelling?
1: We say probably every day at some point in our work, um, that that disability is not a monolith and what we know of when I thought back to the resources, the things that I read when I started working in, in the disability space, it still was like, Oh yeah, mm-hmm, that was definitely all white people. Everything, you know, like uh, thinking about books that I'd read, um, uh, particularly white men. And there was, you know, we had Judy and, and others, but, um, For the most part, you know, even when you think about who was on the stage of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act, at least who we see, it's a bunch of old white, white male wheelchair users. And that I think when people, when when you think about the accessibility parking sign, the accessible parking sign, like it's literally white. It's a white (laughs) man in a wheelchair. Like that's actually what it, what it is. And so um, for me, it is. Uh, from a storytelling telling perspective, it's not just about it being um that we need to see like literally see visually ourselves, but it's the fact that our cultural experiences and I'm sure that you can you know speak to this as well as a as a, a disabled woman of color that um that perspective has to it, it impacts how, you know, we experience life, our families, you know, culture and in connection to, for me, being raised by a Black, you know, single mother, uh, you know, um, in the Black church, like all of that is not going to be the same as I'm so grateful for so many of, you know, the folks that have essentially paved the way from a media perspective. But it still hasn't told my story yet. It still hasn't told your story yet. I would venture to say, you know, and so many others and, you know, I have a a, a physical disability, but, you know, one of the things that I remember us talking about, even with Crip Camp um, with some of the casts, even was um, also just that uh, diversity when it comes to disability. So we, need to you know show the breadth of neurodiversity and with characters that actually have that lived experience that are not stand-ins or people Uh, the fact that we still today have non-disabled people playing disabled roles is just baffling to me because i'm like we would not do that (laughs) for most other communities. I don't want to say all because like, I certainly, you know, particularly in the queer community, there's still, still issues there, but it has to do with like, who is representing us, how it's being represented, and not just in front of the camera, but who, as they say, is, you know, below the line, who is behind, you know, the camera, who actually are, who is driving these narratives and that needs to be us you know as well we need to be the producers the writers you know we need to be the talent manager we need to you know have um places and spaces and all of that to ensure that that the storytelling is the most authentic
0: of work. You kind of move forward from working on Crip Camp and um, are are advancing a lot of the things you described. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and what it means to you?
1: Absolutely. So um, we have, Crip Camp was really, really a catapulting um, space for us to start these conversations because, again, um, it, it being so highly profiled, um, it caused people to question. I think again, both in front of and you know in in the the rooms, um, in particular, how are we thinking about? Are we thinking about disability? How are we thinking about it? And so, um, the work that that we do, I keep saying, we I have um, Lita Consulting from Levant Consulting. And our mission, we say our mission is to shape the way the world reaches views and values disabled people. And we say often when you have a mission statement, it's just that, but really it's about not just the fact that you're connecting with disabled people. Okay, we've done a, you know, we've reached out to them, we've included them one time, you know, in a disability campaign or whatever, but it's moving beyond just how it's connecting to, but A, how you see disabled people, meaning like, you know, how are you viewing them from a societal perspective, not as othered, not from a a place of ableism or, you know, essentially oppressing them or oppressing us. And then the idea of valuing, really understanding that disabled people, our perspectives, are unique in a way that is certainly valuable. Um, I say all the time and we work a lot with everything from you know corporate organizations to um, to nonprofits to entertainment to tech. And we say often disabled people are, are gonna be the most creative people likely that you have on a team um, because we uh, are used to operating in a world that wasn't built for us, you know. Um, And so we support uh, organizations in a variety of ways. That's from a content marketing, thinking about that representation. Uh, A lot of the lessons that we learned, you know, on Crip Camp, just even from a content development, you know, ensuring that your social media is accessible and inclusive. And we have great folks on our team that do that. Um, And then We do a lot around training uh, and and support of a variety of different things from, you know, accessibility to some of these concepts that I've alluded to here, race and disability, disability justice, uh, things of that nature. And then just overall strategy, helping organizations think about how they're cultivating truly equitable um, workplaces. And I use that word very strategically because we have you know, disability rights was about equality. We want the exact same things that other people have. And, you know, now from a diversity perspective, we're having these equity focused conversations that are saying, I don't actually want the exact same thing that that person has because that's not gonna meet my needs. I want what I need, you know, and and that looks like this. And so helping, you know, supporting companies in thinking about, about it from that perspective.
0: That is so exciting and such needed work. I often feel like in the sort of DEI conversations, diversity, equity, and inclusion access and disability specific issues are often not at the table and organizations sort of forget. And it's really important to have this resource that you've created.
1: Yes, exactly. It is. It's again, you know, (laughs) Oftentimes we're like, we feel like we're saying the same thing over and over again, but it's, but the the fact is that these are not conversations that are being had enough in the world, in the workplace, in, you know, again, in media and and so many other places. So we're grateful to support um, folks that are, you know, committed to addressing it and actually creating some sustainable Change. We're not check the box supporters. We're not, um, okay, we did that or we met the ADA compliance. Like that's not not what we aim to do. We're not here to convince people of what we know. It's more that once people have made the acknowledgement that they need to, you know, take some movements forward. That's when we love to say, all right, let's like, you know, get our, get our hands dirty and, and work together.
0: That's amazing. And where can folks find you and the work that you're doing?
1: LevantConsultingInc.com is our professional um, website and we're on Instagram. We'll say Twitter for right now, but who knows? (laughs) Um, And then... (laughs) and LinkedIn. And then personally, I have a personal website, um, andrealevant.com. And that shows a little bit more of the cultural side of who I am. I'm very, you know, you talked about the red carpet fashion. I love fashion. I love, you know, just anything, disability, culture, um, black culture, things like that. So that's on the personal side of things. And then you can find me on social platforms under Andrea Levant.
0: Thank you so much. And we'll link to
1: all of your socials
0: and your websites in the show notes for this episode. Thank you so much, Andrea. It's been such a pleasure to have you. This episode was produced by Alana Nevins and me. Our social media manager is Avery Annapol Special thanks to Claire Shanley for designing our logo and to Eiffel Gangsta Beats for our theme music. If you like what you're hearing or reading, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you love to listen. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Down to the Struts, and join our Facebook group, Down to the Struts Podcast. If you want a monthly update from me, including news from the disability community, you can subscribe to our newsletter, Getting Down to It, on Substack. If you have disability news or thoughts to share, drop us a line at downtothestruts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you in a couple of weeks so we can get back down to it.